Welcome, garbage listeners. Uh, last last time we had uh, Patrick Wilt on the show uh, talking about uh, the hackathon and all that kind of exciting stuff. So tonight we actually have someone else on the show. Uh, we have Todd Weaver, and he is the uh, founder of Purism. And uh, they're basically a hardware company, a hardware software company that is set out to um, produce hardware that you can use. Um, it's open, no binary firmware. Um, they're trying to do work to disable the Intel management engine. And they're trying to get core boot running with a bunch of uh, security features enabled in there. And they're doing a bunch of very cool work with uh, some uh, some awesome people on the core boot team and uh, Trammell Hudson. So uh, we're going to talk to him tonight about his uh, Librem 13. Todd, why don't you uh, go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, talk to us a little bit about Purism and uh, some of the stuff that you're working on. Yeah, great. Um, so my name is Todd Weaver. I'm the founder and CEO of Purism. And uh, it's a company I started in 2014. Uh, and actually, we started it via um, a crowdfunding campaign to see if there was really any interest in uh, having a company manufacture and really push the free software agenda up into the manufacturing uh, you know, process. And so uh, the goal for the company is really a number of things. The first is to focus on privacy, security, as well as running uh, all free and open source software uh, on computing devices. And so to do that, I actually had a, kind of a long-term goal of getting to the point of uh, creating a mobile phone. And so to do that, I knew that we had to prove ourselves by fabricating what we knew we could could actually manufacture, primarily uh, laptops. And so we started with a 15-inch laptop, and we ran a crowdfunding campaign that uh, saw overwhelming um support. So we were just, you know, to do it, we could actually manufacture laptops with about a quarter of a million dollars. And that campaign, we saw over 400,000 before the campaign closed. And then, uh, and then it continued to grow from there. And that was really to just to produce a laptop that would run GNU Linux out of the box without any binaries whatsoever in the kernel or uh, any of the software. Uh, so once we manufactured the 15-inch laptop, then we went down in screen size to the 13-inch laptop. So that's the Librem 15 for the 15-inch and the Librem 13 for the 13-inch. And then we uh, started to put together the prototypes for a tablet or a 2-in-1. And so we have a Librem 12, which is uh, in pre-order right now. And then we actually just launched a phone campaign, which is our fourth uh, product to come out, the Librem 5, which is a 5-inch phone. And the phone is obviously much more ambitious than the laptop space because uh, we actually have to fabricate and select an awful lot of chips because it's going to run uh, any GNU Linux distribution as opposed to Android or iOS. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's talk about these laptops a little bit. Did you start out with like a high-end piece of equipment, uh, you know, nice displays and all that kind of stuff? Or were you just like trying to do something economical to see if you could make it work? Yeah, so the laptops, I was actually looking to produce high, high-end, high high-quality uh, laptops to begin with. I felt like that was an underserved market, um, meaning that there's, you know, there's a lot of, you can buy used products or get some older products. And, and, but what I wanted to do is actually advance the um, development on newer uh, high-end products. So this is, these are, right now, they're Intel 6th generation um, i7s or i5s. Um, 
the CPUs, and uh, and then we have you know two drives in it. They're all aluminum, so they're anodized black aluminum, uh, and so everything is at the highest end. We have the ability to to source, and then also um, being able to you know stay up, stay current. So this is where you know dollars spent on the laptops allow us to uh, invest in uh, core boot development, as an example. To get core boot running on Skylake CPUs on our laptops uh, is we have a you know a full-time employee and a part-time employee dedicated just to core boot development. So we can advance uh, really the entire initiative and belief system we have, which all really comes down to the you know those layers and the depth of security and depth of privacy and being able to have everything where the source code is available. Yeah, very cool. So did you, like when you started to uh, think about this process, you obviously started with the hardware, and then what made you um, focus so much on like the BIOS and the firmware and the binary blob so much? Because that's something, so our, our um, listeners are BSD users, Linux users, um, and, and they kind of have a similar type passion about that, but how did you guys arrive at that? Uh, well, it actually started before I even uh, started Purism, was uh, meeting with um, Richard Stallman um, and talking with him about, you know, hey, what, what's the hurdles that need to really, uh, you know, jump over? And then also, what areas are things that we should, with the sale of hardware, invest into? And so um, so he brought up uh, LibreBoot, and, um, and so then we started, or I started, digging into, at that time, a core boot what it takes, you know, to actually run on current hardware because we wanted to target the high-end market. And then I also wanted to, you know, actually solve problems, not just kind of piece together uh, various hardware that would that would work. I actually wanted to advance newer hardware. So the, the conundrum was, you know, you can have Libreboot or basically Coreboot without any binaries uh, running on 2008 or older Intel hardware. And what I wanted to do, of course, was advance that towards um, being able to use new hardware because obviously my my use case, a lot of developer use cases, a lot of people, of course, who would want to buy hardware want to buy the latest type of hardware. And so, right. um, so looking at saying, you know what, we can solve everything from the bootloader on up, right? So as far as the depth of security and depth of, of privacy protection and where the source code's freed is that you know, by looking at it as layers, then we can go all the way as deep as through the kernel to the bootloader. When we get to the BIOS, if we can get core boot running, then we have the ability to start looking at these remaining binaries on newest hardware and look to free those. So that actually was all in the plan before we even, before I even formed Purism. <clears throat> of course, to, to do that is, uh, uh, a complete, it's a, it's a large undertaking. And so <clears throat> we started to invest. <clears throat> And actually brought on some developers that didn't work out, and then uh, and then found some uh, a, in kind of a second wave uh, found some developers that are much more uh, uh, competent, and, uh, and then we actually had the ability to get Coreboot released on our Librem 15 or Librem 13. Uh, we're already working on the tablet, and then of course the the phone is not going to run Intel, so it's actually not not related. Yeah. So, um, JCS, you had some questions about um, the hardware manufacturing. Do you want to talk about that stuff a little bit? Yeah, I guess uh, just going back to when you initially started this, um, what I'm just curious, like, what does it actually take to uh, create, like, a uh, and ship 
an actual laptop? I mean, are you designing uh, every component or like everything, the case and the keyboard and all that stuff? Or are you basically like um, working with a manufacturer to uh, use kind of what they have and, and piecing together parts? Yeah, it's a, it's a combination of those two. So I, we actually have on our website uh, a detailed breakdown of everything we can source, everything that we can modify, everything we man- manufacture. Um, and so what I did is I've, I've been in hardware and software for a, a number of decades. And, and one of the companies I was involved in, um, I was the hardware and software architect behind um, uh, a company called Play Network. And they uh, built media players for pretty much the majority of retail in the United States. And so like if you go into a Starbucks uh, coffee shop, the music that it plays from a machine that I built. And so the hardware and software, uh, it's a, those are all Debian based machines. And, um, and I, so that for me, I put out RFPs, but by working for a company that had a large budget allowed me to meet all the supply chain and get to know and have relationships with the entire supply chain. So, through that process, then I, um, you know, a number of years passed where I was like, you know, why doesn't anybody just manufacture a laptop that just will work with, you know, mainline kernel out of the box? Mm-hmm. And then I realized that, you know what, uh, it's probably because people don't have the same kind of uh, track record in education or, you know, um, business that I do. So, you know what, I might as well go ahead and be that person who does that and, and lead the charge. So, to answer your question is that then I leveraged the existing supply contacts I had to find a case that we can source that we have the ability to modify. Now that case comes with a keyboard. And so we can source the screen that goes inside the case and, uh, and then uh, the keyboard comes with it. And then we source a trackpad and then we, uh, get a reference design from Intel for the motherboard. And we make changes to the motherboard that we need, specifically ch- selecting chips that we know will run with mainline kernel. And then, uh, and then add things that we thought were cool, like hardware kill switches. And, you know, so the things that we, the, the detailed breakdown is as simple as, you know, we obviously source the RAM, drives, the screen. We source the keyboard. We source the trackpad. Uh, we can't, can't really make any changes to that, right? The supply chain just gives us, we source it and we get it. The case is one that um, we can modify. So we modify the case to our needs. The battery, we don't modify. Obviously, that's just something we source. Um, and then, you know, things that we can modify are, you know, some motherboards, speakers, daughter cards, uh, chips that go in it, webcam, um, you know, microphone, uh, hardware kill switches. And, uh, you know, like the color, we anodize all of our, you know, the cases, uh, black aluminum or black, mm-hmm. uh, they are aluminum. We anodize them. Uh, like a actually like a charcoal color because those are things that we thought would be cool so there's some things we can source some things we modify and some things we manufacture to really get it to the point that we can can bring them out but one thing that's really been helpful is that uh, you know 10 years ago seven years ago it would have been impossible to start purism because the supply chain uh, it was just a supply and demand that it was flipped where the demand for fabrication out of uh, mainland China was um, was so much that they didn't have enough supply to, to meet it all. And so what they happened is in mainland China, they started to build out more and more cities that are just fabrication cities. So now if you travel to Dongguang, China, primarily because it's all moved from Shenzhen, that you go there and these fabrication cities are um, are not at full capacity. 
So yeah. that means that my leverage to be able to say, you know what, I don't want 50,000 units. I just want 5,000 units. Mm -hmm. And now I can negotiate a much smaller minimum order quantity. So that way we can um, take less risk to building uh, building our company. And what that really, to boil all that down, comes down to is that I knew that I could run a crowdfunding campaign for you know for a quarter of a million dollars and be able to fabricate laptops specifically to my needs with that small, relatively small, um, uh, upfront capital. And what that does is that removes a huge amount of investor risk. So when I was looking at how to form Purism, I looked at it as I could go out and I'd have to go out and basically get like $50 million, $50 million, uh, because I would have to fabricate everything and bring it all to market. Or I could do that uh, with a small amount, like a quarter of a million dollars, and basically do it from revenue and build the business organically. Um, and I felt like it would be a nearly impossible task to stay true to my beliefs and bring in a large amount of VC money. Mm -hmm. So that's why I opted for uh, the crowdfunding, really mitigating a lot of the, the risk uh, in showing that there's market demand. Uh, I remember seeing the, the laptop on... Uh crowd supply when it first came out and i think there you were having like a poll of whether people wanted the hardware uh toggle switches so once you actually had like your case design and everything what kind of undertaking was it to incorporate um like a change and and actually get those hardware switches in that's a great question so initially um this is where it actually kind of highlights one of the benefits of having a negotiations into the supply chain is that uh, initially we went one level deep into the supply chain which was we actually had the um, uh, assembly in mainland China who was basically taking uh, our screen and the case and doing the assembly so we actually had them modifying the uh, case design and uh, wiring for the first batch so that was more costly uh, than what we're doing now, um, but it allowed us to make a, an e a change that we could do kind of a little bit more on the fly. And then our second batch order, we actually placed a much larger order uh, and uh, and then moved it one level deeper into that supply chain. So, I mean, did you guys have to like actually uh, source the custom switches or was that just like a common thing that your manufacturer has or... Oh no! We actually uh, we went through a number of um, uh, switch designs, and we basically looked through. <laughs> it's actually amazing <laughs> how many switches there are, uh, and um, so we actually looked at you know might have been a hundred different types of switches because we actually wanted a single pole double throw switch that would work, um, so we can actually sever the webcam and microphone uh, together. And so, um, you know, so that was a process of basically that we took and we we tested. Um, there's even videos of me testing it out uh, with, you know, with our uh, operations person and basically like, okay, this is the one we want. And then, um, and then, so we did all the R&D and then we basically uh, provided that part number and the process to the one level deep in the supply chain. And then after that, we could then provide those same instructions to the uh, fabrication of the motherboard so we can include it in the um, in the actual fabrication process okay um, and so you had your the crowd supply funding 
And early on, you wanted uh, Core Boot as a goal for the product. And I remember seeing on, um, it was probably Hacker News, that there seemed to be a lot of negativity around that. People think that it couldn't be done, that it was like a lofty goal, that you guys weren't actually going to be able to achieve it, and that your um, because your first revision had to ship with the, uh, was it the AMI BIOS? Yes, correct. And then there was that article on the Coreboot blog, which has actually been deleted, where somebody was basically, it was one of the Coreboot developers basically saying the same thing, that you guys, that this wasn't... Uh, a goal that you guys are going to be able to main, to obtain because they're a core boot developer and they know how it works. Um, and <laughs> yeah. that blog has since been deleted. So I'm assuming, and especially because you guys have actually gotten core boot working on that. Are you able to talk about that and, and what that guy's deal was? Oh yeah, sure. So the uh, core boot story is, uh, has been actually quite long and sorted. Uh, the original posting that you're referring to um, is actually from somebody who's no longer with the core boot community because actually I've been talking with uh, the core boot guys from the onset. So um, the story is of course that, uh, that everybody or specifically the poster of that post you're referring to wanted us to be farther along than we were. And which is an understandable thing because everybody wants a hundred percent completion, even though we were talking about having everything except core boot running and we were going to invest real time and money towards the core boot uh, advancement. So, uh, the reason it was stated to be impossible uh, was was actually kind of mixed up in a few different things. The first is to get core boot running is a is an undertaking uh, where we actually leverage the uh, contacts that I had with core boot and uh, and they uh, some of the core boot developers did our initial port for the Librem thirteen and then one of our core boot developers we had uh, wasn't really advancing in the right direction. And so we removed that person and brought in somebody who's a little bit more competent to finish up that core boot port. Then the second piece is once you have core boot running, then of course we have binaries to still remove to actually get it where we can have a Libra boot port running. So the, the way that I can condense that story down as short as possible is the first thing we did is we provided all the hardware to some key core boot developers they provided an initial port, and then we brought in Eunice on our side, uh, who's kind of a hardware enablement reverse engineer uh, expert, and then he spent the months it takes to actually productize that port and getting it on our Librem 15 and our Librem 13. Uh, since then, he's actually started to work on reverse engineering the management engine, which is the nasty binary that runs on the uh, uh, separate CPU inside of the Intel uh, CPU. And so that is, uh, that's kind of where we are now, is we've been shipping Core Boot on the Librem 15 and the Librem 13 and are advancing towards reverse engineering the remaining binaries that are included within Core Boot. Very cool. Um, so Todd, one, one thing that I thought was interesting about what you're working on and uh, why I thought it would be really nice to have you talk on, on the podcast is because JCS and I have been doing uh, the very thing that you're sort of talking about. We've been in search of modern hardware with a nice display that, you know, you can run firmware that you can build, that you can patch your firmware um, and, you know, not run binary blobs. And for me, that kind of started off with, you know, Chromebooks, looking at Chromebooks, you know, at least with that, you had the notion of being able to do that, even though you know, U-Boot's signed and you can't really flash that the way, uh, you know, 
uh, an end consumer would want to. And then I kind of started getting into like X61s from 2008 or whatever it was. And, you know, putting upgraded yes. displays in there and, you know, uh, cutting up ribbon cables and, and modifying them and all that kind of stuff. And um, so right now, like the two machines that I have that I, I sort of use on a regular basis and that I like are my X220, which which has an IPS mm-hmm. panel in it. And I have uh, the Intel management engine uh, fairly well cri- crippled with the Me Cleaner. And um, I'm running Core Boot on yep. there as well that... I was actually able to build within OpenBSD, so it wasn't just like you know somebody else's version of uh, you know core boot going on there. But while we we're on the the subject of the Intel ME, um, there was some news uh, that came out uh, the other day, I guess, um, that there's a new method for disabling the yeah. Intel ME version 11. Todd, can you talk about that? Yeah, I can. So it's actually something that uh, the blog post got a lot of attention, even though the end result. Uh, doesn't actually disable the ME for anything longer than we've already known of what the capabilities are. So so the sad thing was that that was brought a lot of attention, but there was sort of nothing new to see here. Um, uh, So the the overall story, of course, let me just give a little bit of a a primer for those who aren't familiar with it. So the, the Intel AMT is what a lot of people worry about. And AMT, of course, is the combination of an Intel networking card, Intel CPU that has vPro, and the management engine. And that that allows for remote access or out-of-band access. And so our laptops don't have any any of those three. So we don't use Intel uh, networking, and we don't use Intel CPU that has vPro. We specifically avoid that. And then we also uh, use a management engine that was the consumer version, and then we also of course, neutralize that management engine. So by removing those three, that's, that removes an awful lot of the threats that people would worry about. Then the, so then we, of course, just have the, the worry that we have a binary that is still running on the CPU, and we don't want that. And the management engine is a signed binary. So that blog post is talking about um, using the FPT tool from Intel and and basically toggling some bits that say we can disable the ME, which we can do, uh, but it it doesn't stop the binary from actually running. It doesn't stop the actual separate CPU that the management engine is from running. And so uh, so that was um, brought a lot of awareness, which is good. But the sad thing is that it was it was sort of still a, a nothing new to see here. This has all been published before. Um, so the areas that, that we're advancing, what we're actually looking to do is, um, and, and you can even see from our uh, posts, is that we have reverse engineered one of the modules already of the management engine. And, uh, and from that, we've already found an a exploitable bug that allows us to potentially run uh, our own code mm-hmm. on the management engine. So the, the process for us is basically as, as follows. It's that we're going to uh, t- uh, leverage that exploit to run our own code on the management engine, which allows us to then dump the uh, the ROMB from the management engine itself. When we dump that, then we can reverse engineer that piece to basically say like, hey, where is this watchdog timer? And when we find the watchdog timer, then we can, uh, uh, we well, let me back up. One of the things we can do when we dump the 
the ROM, the ROM B code, is we have the ability to also uh, actually just issue a halt command and shut down that uh, that processor. If we do that, then we actually know that we've completely disabled the the processor, which means then we can actually issue that. You know, we can release the source code and say, "Hey, within Core Boot, we can issue this uh, uh, command. It'll run on the management engine and execute it." The reason for that is because the uh, management engine, the way that they do the signature check, uh, is it's a series of steps that they signature check step one, but they don't signature check any of the hashes of the actual uh, partitions within the management engine uh, uh, file. Yeah, so um, I I don't know, maybe this is too much or maybe this is not enough. So uh, one of the interesting things about the ME is that it's not something that we can just uh, analyze very easily. It's compressed in, in a format that um, I, to my knowledge, has not been able to be decompressed. So when we try and analyze it, uh, it's encrypted. And um, even before we can look at the encrypted data to try and uh, do analysis on it, you have to be able to um, decompress the data. And uh, to my knowledge, no one's been able to figure that out. So we're really just uh, limited to a few small bits uh, that we were talking about earlier that we can toggle um, using some software that Intel does publish. And that's uh, what the article was talking about. Basically, there's um, the U.S. government has their um, HAP program, um, the high assurance platform. And basically, you know, they don't want to have this particular thing running for computers that are using that. And so you flip a bit and that supposedly puts it into whatever uh, high assurance platform is. And, and basically, that's my understanding of uh, what we found from that article and kind of what the challenges are. So, Todd, I mean, as a company that's actually buying processors directly from Intel, uh, what do they tell you about ME? And like, as far as, um, I mean, you guys had that petition um, to be able to, or to try to get Intel to, to sell you processors that don't have that, I think it was? Yeah, actually, that was, uh, yes, correct. We um, So we have an account manager at Intel, and we basically, you know, get our documentation, and we actually have a lot more visibility than uh, than what is available in the public to be able to actually work towards uh, having a completely freed ME. And this gets us into a, a actually, a kind of unique situation. Um, the first is that the... So we submitted a petition to them saying, hey, we want an ME-less version. And, and that's not to say that Purism is the only one who wants it. We actually want Intel to simply enable the ability to uh, have a, a fuse yeah. or to have a flag that can just simply say, don't run the management engine. Because it's not required, right? We know it's not required. So this is where we get into a, a kind of a cool uh, gray area. That gray area is that we... Um, are reverse engineering the management engine. Uh, and Intel would have a problem with reverse engineering it if we were reverse engineering it to have it work. But we're actually reverse engineering it to disable <laughs> it, right? So we, we basically say we, we want to just have it be zero bytes, yeah. right? So so like we want to we reverse engineer it to have it, have it just not function. And so that gives us um, a little bit more leeway because we've explained that, hey, this is, you know, our goal is to have it not operate. And so... Um, so we have actually uh, more visibility to the uh, to the ME eleven, the uh, the ability to extract, reverse engineer the um, 
certain modules, and then from there, hopefully, find, uh, you know, basically find an error in the code that we can exploit to halt the CPU. And once we, and that's, what's nice about that is it's, it's actually, again, we don't have to reverse engineer it to work. We just have to basically send it a command that breaks the, breaks the CPU. Yep. The, the, uh, M, the ME uh, portion, not the, obviously the main CPU. Right. Um, I've always wondered why Apple puts up with this because they must buy a tremendous number of, of product from Intel. And uh, as far as I know, Apple has no AMT software solution for managing Apple computers. So they certainly don't need any of this functionality. I think with their stance on security and privacy that they would, uh, that they wouldn't want this either. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I, you know what I don't, and I, maybe it's, it's just that that, that they can source CPUs that don't have the, um, you know, that don't have V pro. And so therefore don't have AMT support. Uh, and and then maybe they're just fine with having the binary in their BIOS, um, but that's it's a great question, and, um, and and it's possible that maybe it just hasn't you know risen to the occasion of them trying to push that same agenda, right? Because like you know you you have a different uh, belief system than let's say maybe the uh, Apple firmware yeah. developers. Yeah. One thing I was going to say about Apple, um, you, you've heard the name uh, Trammell Hudson before. Um, uh, yes. So he, he does pretty interesting stuff, and I, I like watching his work. And one thing I kind of drew from an illustration that he gave is that, you know, he was able to get Apple to update their firmware when he found an issue. And I'm not saying, like, I'm going to put Apple on a pedestal here because, you know, they don't they don't deserve one. Um, and But they are patching, and they are making things better, and they are trying to, um, you know take care of that where I think a lot of vendors are basically in the stance of it's, it's, it's like a, an overhead or, you know, it's, it's expensive to do. Oh yeah. 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 So, uh, so I think that I can succinctly summarize that, uh, which is that um, Apple actually purism has actually a similar business model as Apple, which is that we're combining hardware and software into a convenient right. package. Right. Uh, and so by doing so, Apple is the author of the BIOS that on their machines. And so by being the author of it, then they're, they take ownership. And so it's, it's a streamlined, uh, development path and the same as us, right? So if somebody asks, Hey, we want to modify core boot, uh, to do something, um, you know, on the Librem 13, we, you know, we're, we're going to put Eunice on that, uh, or Matt and basically say like, let's hammer on that because it's going to help advance our product and our cause. And so by having, so we have the streamlined BIOS or firmware uh, process to the OS on our hardware, all in-house, the same as Apple, of course. And so, whereas every other manufacturer outsources the firmware or BIOS. And so by outsourcing it, they're they're not interested. And the BIOS manufacturer is not interested. and so it just turns into this kind of sort of like this, uh, uh, you know, really poor uh, approach to addressing the security needs of, uh, of BIOS updates. I think we saw that with that the recent uh, AMT vulnerability, yep. um, that basically every pro- uh, modern Intel processor had this bug and you needed a new, uh, I guess, to, to flash the BIOS to upgrade the uh, firmware on the processor to fix this bug. And so many vendors were not doing it quickly, and I'm sure there are so many. Uh, I mean, the vast majority of machines are not patched for it or anything like that. 
Yeah, that's right. I I would assume it's the majority are not going to get patched um, even yeah. from that because it's it's because it is a a BIOS update yeah. and and you know and, and people are reluctant to do software updates, right? So a BIOS update is going to be is going to be you know a decimal point. Wanted to ask um, a couple more things about like flashing and stuff. So right now my Chromebooks, if I want to overwrite core boot that's in there, the verified core boot. I have to get a servo board, which aren't easy to come by, and I have to put on a header and all that kind of stuff. Um, and in my Lenovo, I have to, you know, get a soy clip and a Raspberry Pi 3 and flash ROM and all that kind of stuff. And then once it's on there, you know, I can use uh, Core Boot um, and the internal flasher to flash it. But what are, what are you guys doing with your laptops as far as, like, firmware updates and giving the consumer the ability to control this or not? Um, are you doing anything fun with, like, a lifting like a switch that lifts a pin or anything fun like that for right protect. Right. It's actually, we, there's no hardware um, screw or switch that's needed at all um, and no external hardware. So you actually don't even have to open up the case. So to um, in the future, we might actually want to, from a security story, uh, right protect the uh, firmware. But um, for now, it's actually, you can just be able to download core boot and do flash ROM and update your core boot with just software. So that allows us to actually do, uh, via software update even, uh, release new versions of Core Boot. And uh, so it's very, very easy and very user-friendly for anybody to start hacking on Core Boot on a machine. So is, is it just basically relying on if you have root access to the machine, you can flash it? That's correct. Okay. Do you guys have any plans for like uh, a hardware screw or something that you need? Uh... Yes. So we actually... Um, but we're actually working with Trammell Hudson on a, t a TPM, and part of that, uh, adding a TPM that is actually hardware TPM, not software TPM. Yeah. Um, and by adding the... So he has actually a, a Librem 13, or two of them, that has, uh, that has TPM, the hardware TPM enabled. And so once we, he confirms that that is going to work, then the actual process is going to be where you have a YubiKey, that allows you to, uh, if you boot into a known good state and insert the YubiKey, then you have the ability to flash that firmware. So, uh, or, and then the nice thing about that is then we can actually get into a really strong security story where you can actually decide to say, you know what, I, I don't want to, no software at all can be installed unless I insert the YubiKey. And so yeah. that's, that's uh, basically combining Trammell Hudson's heads with hardware TPM uh, that you, of course, run in Core Boot, um, and then being able to combine all those together into a proper measured boot process. And that's actually the path that we're looking to take as opposed to something a little bit more complicated. That's, that's really cool. Uh, so, Todd, I really appreciate you talking with us. Um, I know that some of the OpenBSD developers have interest in, in your hardware, and I know that uh, at least one developer has uh, the 13-inch uh, the model in his hands now. And uh, I really am looking forward to uh, getting OpenBSD up and running on, on this hardware. And I know that, um, you know, the folks that in, in your community have been very supportive of that. Um, so I know that our audio has been cutting in and out throughout the day. I, I would like to, you to uh, like be able to jump off and enjoy your evening. Um, but um, is there anything you want to uh, like talk about in closing real quick? Uh, well, no, just to, to kind of, bolster what you just brought up is that obviously we, we do have pure OS and that's kind of our playground for the hardware yep. um, but the the ability for OpenBSD and 
supporting that community has our full support. And so, you know, questions being asked uh, of any of our developers on something that relates to core boot or advancing the cause of OpenBSD on the hardware, uh, or even doing guest posts as somebody hey has said, you know, that they have gotten OpenBSD running. Uh, we're we're uh, we welcome all of that. And so, uh, so I love to see the advancements you guys are looking to make. Yeah, absolutely. Because the work that you're doing in, in Core Boot right now is is fantastic. I love that you're incorporating, uh, you know, some of Trammell's work in there. I think that's absolutely like one of the most important things that when you power on your computer, that you're actually turning on and running the code that you think you're running, and not you know somebody's uh, you know backdoored or whatever code. And um, and and I'm really looking forward to you know getting my hands. The display on this thing looks like it's amazing. Um, the hardware I saw a D message from it, and it seems like um, you know stuff that we should run on very well. So hopefully we can get our hands on these in the near future. And then uh, from there, you know, uh, there's a whole other podcast we could talk about your phones. But uh, we OpenBSD runs rather well on IMX six, which is the current phone hardware target. Yes. And, um, you know, you guys are talking about doing great things with that. We won't, we won't uh, dovetail into that, but uh, I'm really looking forward to that as well, because I think that's uh, JCS and I have talked about on this podcast many times, uh, the phone situation and Android and iPhone. And, you know, while they both have their strengths and weaknesses, they both leave us uh, wanting in, in a big way. So uh, having that kind of device would be, would be really cool to get that's our hands right. on as well. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'd love to uh, to take a, another uh, podcast as to basically just address the the phone and the phone campaign and what we're looking to do. I think that's a smart thing to do. Yeah, awesome. Great. Um, well, I guess when we uh, schedule that podcast, we'll be in touch. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. I see you. So Brandon, haven't uh, talked to you in a while. Yeah, I know we haven't uh, we haven't um, done a podcast in a while. You went off to uh, the Toronto Hackathon, and I think we've um, we haven't really talked since then, have we? We have not. What uh, what prompted uh, this podcast with Todd? Um, so one of uh, my uh, the director of IT at one of the places that I worked, he um, he sent me an email and he said, "Hey, did you see this article about the Intel management engine?" And I said, uh, no, I hadn't. And so I was reading it, and I had just found the Purism folks and seen their work, um, you know, on these laptops, and they have phones and stuff that they're working working on. And so I uh, kind of reached out to them, and I said, hey, have you guys seen this thing? I knew that they were working to disable the Intel management engine, and they said, yeah, and they were going to research it, and they were going to reach out to these people and try and collaborate. And so I thought, you know, um, we should talk about the Intel management engine. We should talk about this research that they've done. And, um, and then I, I thought, I wonder if Todd wants to talk about this stuff with us. Hmm. And I uh, kind of hastily uh, asked him if he wanted to do that. And he jumped on the opportunity and welcomed it and was happy to talk with us. So, that's cool. yeah, that's what brought it about. Cool. It's, uh, I guess I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect, uh, someone like that to be as, uh, flexible i don't know just be able to be like oh yeah i can do your podcast right now it the community has been really cool i jumped on their irc channel 
And I started asking questions, you know, just like, um, I think just generic questions if, uh, if they'd be interested in, in, uh, you know, supporting OpenBSD or if anyone had run OpenBSD on there. And the community members, you know, were like, what can I do to get you a D message? And, uh, you know, one, uh, another community member just did a complete install and posted the D message to our D message um, email, uh, the OpenBSD D message tracker. And, you know, I thought that was really welcoming and really cool. And, yeah. you know, I've just, I just kind of stayed in there because I, you know, kept talking with people. And uh, they have a couple people in there. Uh, one of them, Mr. Chromebox, is the guy. And he has actually been working on the EC. Um, and he found something with the PCH, the Peach, I call it. Um, you know, and he made some improvements to that. And I guess that uh, that Peach is tightly coupled with the Intel management engine. So he's been hacking on all that kind of stuff. So I was kind of talking with him about a couple things uh, around the MMC. And uh, yeah, the community was great. And, you know, I was really delighted when he said, sure, I'd love to talk about this stuff. And we got to talk about all those cool things that were happening in his hardware and things that you and I have kind of been looking for in a laptop and uh, all in one. Um, Uva has the first, I think it's the first gen Libram 13. Yeah. He had it at the Toronto Hackathon. Um, so I got to see it up close at least. He didn't like the keyboard, I think he was saying, or the wow. touchpad, one of the two. But um, I think he has the first gen, and I think they're on like revision three or something. So I don't know if any of that stuff has improved. But I've actually been like kind of wanting one of those, the Librem 13. But right. I haven't seen any like detailed hardware reviews of it. And so I didn't want to buy one because like, you, there's a restocking fee if you don't like it. Oh, okay. So I just didn't buy one, and I was I've just been like waiting to see like some laptop reviewer post a review of it, so I can be like, oh, okay, that's what the trackpad feels like, and that's what the keyboard is like. Yeah. But uh, yeah, maybe we'll have to one of us will have to get one once that TPM stuff comes out. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. We were talking, I don't know, in between segments of the show about um, how we've been, you know, on a quest for hardware that does the, these types of things. And um, it, it seems like a good fit. And it's it's a, a premium model. It's $1,400, but it mm-hmm. does everything you want. So, um, yeah, he uh, Todd welcomed the OpenBSD community. He said, if you guys want to run on this hardware, you know, it's not our target, but we welcome that. And you know, I think I've already seen that from the community, so it's it's very exciting. Cool beans. Yeah. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Nah, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I think we should do a couple more shows than we've been doing. There's been a lot of things happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what with babies and all. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, I did have one thing to mention quickly. Uh, I added MP3 chapters to our previous episodes and I guess this episode as well. Uh-huh. Um, and that was by some hacks that I did on the go ID three library. Oh, nice. And then I wrote a uh, standalone utility called MP3 chap that you can just feed it a uh, MP3 file and then like the timestamps uh-huh. and then it will put in those chapter markers in the ID three tag and then spit out the MP3. And because it's go, uh, it gives me a static binary that I can run in the uh, web truth 
for the garbage.fm. So like through the CMS, whenever we make changes to the chapters, it can just rewrite the MP3 and that's what everybody downloads. So uh, you guys should now be seeing chapters in these episodes. If your podcast app supports chapters and if you are having some kind of playback problem or whatever with them, uh, let me know uh, through email or Twitter so that I can fix it. But they're in all the past episodes and it was in the one with Patrick, so I think it's okay. Awesome. But anyway, if there's anything else you'd like to hear us talk about besides uh, an episode on the Purism phone, which we'll do later. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at GarbageFM or through our website at Garbage.FM. Brandon, how can people reach you? Yeah, reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at no Mercy Mod with a K-N-O-W, and I, I listened to Patrick say that, and I, I was <laughs> cracking up. I loved it. That was a great show. Are you still on Google Plus? I'm on Google Plus as well. Yeah, you can find me on there, but uh, usually Twitter's better. Okay, and I'm on the web at jcs.org and on Twitter at jcs.org.